Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Thanks for coming on the show. I know you tune into a few episodes, so just to give you a little bit of background as to why I started the show, really wanted to start the show to create a platform to have an open, honest conversation around loss, tragedy, hardship, facing difficult times, adversity, etc. But overcoming or moving forward and being able to build a life you love no matter what. And I know that's pretty broad and building a life you love is it's been interesting, at least the different people I've had on different perspectives around doing that. But nonetheless, wanted to have you on the show. I think you have a lot of wisdom to share. And typically where we start these is, you know, with your story. So I sort of hand the mic to you and would love to hear a little bit more about, you know, your story and what that's like. And I feel like it's funny because you and I have had the experience of sharing our story with each other so many times and both in camp and out of camp, whether that be bold, the the bereavement group that, uh, you know, we started post camp, as well as even the dinner parties. I was telling a friend about when we went to those dinner parties a long time ago. So <laughs> Yeah, you're an expert at sharing your story at this point. Yeah, thank. first of all, thank you so much for having me on. You know, I don't know how much wisdom I have, but I can definitely share my experience. It's funny, no matter how many times we, we share our story, you know, I still get a little nervous before doing it, but, you know, I'll try to do as best as I can. So, um, first of all, starting with my childhood, I had an incredible childhood. You know, I echo what Sunil said in your first episode. like. I was so, so lucky. I was born into such an amazing family, two other siblings, so three children. And, you know, my mom and dad were together and we grew up in England my whole life. Uh, Even though we're American, we moved over to England when I was six months old and we lived about half an hour south of London uh, for the first 18 years of my life. And it was amazing. We went to an international school there, so I got the opportunity to make friends with and meet tons and tons of people from all different cultures and backgrounds, uh, which was so interesting. And you know, now it's now it's like I can go anywhere in the world, and I'm sure I might know someone I could potentially stay with or you know meet with, which is awesome. And just living in England, you have the opportunity to travel really easily to tons of other countries, and my family took advantage of that. You know, we focused a lot on family vacations and that was always really important. And I loved the vacations we all did together. And my dad, we called him Captain Vacation because he loved, he, he loved, you know, scheduling these vacations and That's an epic planning nickname. them all. <laughs> yeah. And like, <laughs> just like planning them all out and like he had every detail, but it wasn't like it was over planned. It was like, everything was just perfect. And so, yeah, such a great childhood. Where was the coolest place that you guys traveled to? 
Oh man, so many awesome places. But I mean, South Africa sticks out in my mind. Uh, you know, we did two weeks there. How often did you guys travel? A ton. We were so lucky. We would do like a trip to the Caribbean every February. And then every spring break, we'd do a two-week trip somewhere. In the summer, we'd go back to the States, um, you know, after school end. And my, my dad was able to work remotely. It was amazing. It was, I had everything uh, going for me and still do. But I just, you know, I had such a lucky childhood. And my mom and dad are amazing and so supportive. Some people complain like, oh, like my dad was always working. He was never there for my baseball games or my, you know, my dad was always there. Like he, he was a lawyer, a big a law firm. And, you know, he was asked to head up the office in London, the first international office uh, for the firm. And he always, even though he worked super hard, he was always there to watch me, uh, you know, in school plays, any sports, always, you know, was home for dinner kind of thing. And, you know, when we went, for vacation in the States, you know, he was there with us. He didn't have to go in the office. So we were super, super lucky. Unfortunately, my dad was diagnosed with leukemia when I was a sophomore in high school. And yeah, it was a a four-year battle, tons of ups and downs as, you know, I'm sure anyone listening to this has, you know, gone through something similar as we have, you know, like as kids, you kind of become an expert or especially those who are maybe around my age, you know, I was 15. So I totally knew what was going on and it was the scariest thing ever. And, you know, there were times when, you know, he was stuck in the hospital for, you know, months, of course, just getting chemotherapy. And then, you know, the chemotherapy went wrong. He had to go to the ICU, was, you know, sedated and unconscious for a month, then miraculously came out of it. Um, you're asking the doctors every day, like, what are the blood counts? Like, you know, it's crazy. And at the same time, you know, you got your schoolwork and you're trying to do school and you're trying to do that. And like, then you've got your, uh, your friendships as well. And so it was really tough, but everyone was like super supportive. Uh, like, you know, the whole community was, you know, giving us rides to school, giving us meals. It was amazing. So you were totally aware of what was going on. Yeah. Brutally aware. <laughs> yeah. You get like um a junior degree and in, in uh like a Wikipedia degree of being a doctor. Yeah. It's unfortunately kinda of how it is. Um, yeah. But you know, there were also really good times. Like you got to come home and uh <laughs> I always like choke up, of course, when I talk about it. But you know, there'd be times when you'd be in remission. And then I went to college in Boston. I decided to go to the States because that's where my sister and brother were. We were really lucky to all be in the same town together. And uh, my dad was in remission at that point. So they were still in England, but then found out my freshman year that the cancer came back, the leukemia was back. And so they made the really tough decision to move to Boston. Basically, like when my dad have to start going through his next round of chemotherapy he wasn't gonna be able to travel so they wanted to make sure that they were around us so they packed up the house that we lived in you know for the last 18 or more years within a week with the help of 
you know, some amazing friends and up and moved to Boston and rented an apartment. And my dad got treatment in Boston and we were all able to, you know, visit every day. I know it's a minor detail, but did you guys sell, sell the house that was abroad? Like, or were they just like, were coming and just sort of packed up and, and left? We were actually renting the house still. Okay. Um, so, yeah, if you can believe it, uh, the whole like 18 years, we never actually bought while we were there. I feel like your dad was very ahead of his time. He like was always traveling, planning these trips, re- worked remote, traveled with the fam, rented the house. I feel like he was ahead of his time. Yeah, he was an amazing guy. Super smart, uh, very organized. Yeah, you know, yeah, went to Harvard then got his law degree at Georgetown. You know, this is a super smart guy, very responsible, but also like, you know, just great sense of humor. Um, Great guy. So, so yeah, come my sophomore year. um, Yeah, unfortunately, my dad passed away. And, you know, that's in the middle of college. And I didn't take any time off, really. Like, you know, obviously a few days here and there for a funeral and, you know, be with the family. But you know, some people asked, are you going to take the semester off? You know, and I didn't. The only thing I did, I was taking five classes at that time. I did withdraw from one class just because I really didn't have time to, you know, study for the test and all that stuff. Besides that, I got all A's that semester. Um, and this was like the middle of sem- the semester. And, uh, you know, I still was going out with my friend it's not like i completely shut down or anything like that like obviously we were you know really sad but life you know we we kept going and kept focusing on you know other stuff that was important to us as well yeah and so yeah i, I kind of got through it and or not get through, we're still getting through it you know but um yeah it never ends it never ends and had you know a, a great rest of college at Tufts uh, in Boston. We got to study abroad in Australia, and then when I graduated, moved to New York, and that then kind of started my first job. Sounds like you sort of just like plowed, almost like plowed through it. Didn't really let you sort of just like continued your life. Obviously, carrying all this with you, but sort of just were like, I need to continue my life. Yeah, I mean, when I was thinking like what. You know, if I did take a semester off school, like what would I do? I would number one be like super anxious that like I was now going to be a semester behind everyone else and like, you know, kind of like delaying my life. And I I didn't have anything productive or something I was going to do instead besides like, of course, grieve, which is really important. But I didn't feel like it was going to be an advantage to like suddenly take time off. So, you know, all like I didn't have the mindset of like, oh, I just want to focus on something else other than my grief. So I'll, you know, focus on school. Like, you know, we definitely talked about it. It wasn't like we ignored it at all. One thing I never did, which maybe I should have done, like I didn't, you know, have a therapist through any of this time. And my family, like we were, again, we were always super open about it. It wasn't like, don't talk about it. But it's just like, I feel like maybe that could have been good. Kind of like now we have, camp and we have bold our group uh where we get to get together every month and like share our stories and talk about what, what we're going through that's kind of like a therapy now but i feel like you know it probably would have been good but it wasn't anything that i ever did or brought up definitely wasn't against it but like it just wasn't something that we 
thought about. Never came your way. No. And in fact, a few years later, so my dad died when I was 19. When I hit 25, I kind of had like a quarter life crisis, I think people would call it. You know, it was a few years now into my professional career. I was at the point where you're thinking about, okay, what's my second job, right? You got your first job out of college. That's just kind of like, cool, I need something to start it off. But I feel like, you know, when you are thinking about your second job, that's when you're like, what, what do I really want my career path to be? What's, how's the rest of my life going to look? And it's those times when you want to turn to, you know, your mentor and get advice. And so I think I really kind of came to terms then like, whoa, like my dad was my mentor. He's not here. You know, my mom, obviously very supportive, but a lot of times you'd be like, well, like, you know, I haven't really been in the business world myself. Like I've been a full-time mom, you know, involved in tons of other stuff. But like, you know, I haven't necessarily dealt with the career stuff for a while, you know, ask your brother and sister. So it was, I felt, you know, a bit alone in that sense. And yeah, I just kind of got to a dark place. And I also, we went to camp. I think I, I did camp for the first time the summer before as well. That was my first real time uh, when I went to camp, really digging into the story and opening up to a bunch of strangers about, you know, this terrible thing that had happened, which again, amazing experience, but it opened up these wounds that I had never really, you know, spent tons of time talking about. And so, yeah, it kind of got into a dark place around my 25th birthday. Let's talk about the quarter life crisis. So I remember when you were going through that and I remember we would talk around like all the different changes you were trying to make to, I guess, really combat it and fight it and try to work through it. So I'm curious, like, uh, how did you get through that? So, you know, one of the first things you think at that time, first of all, like everything feels like hopeless. You know, it's a classic depression. You feel like, oh, this feeling, it kind of feels like a cloud around your brain. Um, that's like keeping like happiness from getting in almost. And I've always been such a positive, happy person. So it was like the first time I was like experiencing any sort of depression, even like surrounding like the years when my dad died, like I wasn't depressed. Um, I was sad, but like, this was really the first time I was going through any sort of depression. And like, you just feel like this is how I'm always going to feel and nothing's going to get better. And you know, that's so tough if that's like your mindset. Were you mainly like a fr- frustrated with professionally with what you were trying to figure out what you wanted to do next? Or was it like one thing was, was building on the other and you were f- starting to deal with your grief maybe in ways you didn't before? Or would you say it was more a professional thing, but came back to shit, my dad's not here. I don't have someone to lean on to help me during this time. Like, I'm curious, what was adding up? Yeah, that's a great question. I don't think it was as much of the professionals, the like pressures of the profession and my career. I think it was more like I miss my dad. And, you know, it was like the reality that, you know, he's not there and I can't turn to him. And, you know, just like, I think it was most like that, the personal stuff. Yeah. Absolutely. Did you have any mentors that you were able to lean on? Yeah, for sure. We have like amazing family friends who I talked with a lot. You know, the CEO, founder of my company at the time, who I'm sure you'll get to talk to at some point, Wiley Cirilli, definitely a mentor, you know, and then our bold brothers as well. So 
but it, you know, it's not the same. It's never going to be the same. So yeah, it was, it was a dark period. I'd, I'd say it, thankfully it just lasted a few months, but the thing that really helped me get out of it. So part of me was like, okay, do I want to see a therapist? Should I see a psychiatrist? You know, is this like, is this the time to look at, you know, medicine for this, you know, like antidepressants or anti-anxiety, that kind of stuff. Like I I had no idea about any of this stuff. So all I did, I was Googling, I was researching literally like how to get yourself out of a depression. (laughs) Like that's, that's like the best information I had at that time. And I literally did everything that I found. So number one, I heard, Hey, open your blinds first thing in the morning or actually go to sleep with your blinds open so that the sun wakes you up because, you know, it's tough to get out of bed if you're in this state and meditate. So first thing in the morning, I would be meditating, you know, for 10, 15 minutes, take B vitamins. I started taking super B complex every single day, which absolutely would help my mood and my energy levels. So I feel like part of when you're depressed, like you're fatigued, you don't want to do anything. And so the B vitamins really help talking about like, you know, it wasn't like I was keeping this stuff to myself. I was talking to my family about it, talking to my friends. I'm very open with my feelings and how I feel. So, you know, I wasn't holding anything in. I did all that stuff. I, I didn't actually ever get to the route of seeing a therapist at that time. And it wasn't because I thought it was a bad idea or I was nervous to talk to someone else. I think I just wanted to see if I could do it myself first. And I feel like those are all good bits of advice for even anyone during this time. Just like instantly get some sunlight right when you wake up. I mean, vitamin B is good for you, but meditate daily, weekly. But yeah, I've been trying to work on my morning routine as well and try to get some form of movement like within seconds of waking up and sunlight as well. There was someone else I interviewed last week and he has something called the Sunrise Club where um, he like he tries to get as many people outside as possible virtually, not not uh, just promotes it as like uh, get outside first thing in the morning and join the Sunrise Club. Yeah. I mean, oftentimes the hardest thing is just getting out of bed, right? Like that's an accomplishment. So thankfully, using all these techniques, again, I was really super lucky that I got through it and I got out of the depression. And I think something that I took from that experience, because we all have bad days. We have days when we feel depressed. It doesn't necessarily mean that now you have clinical depression, but like, you know, I feel depressed today or this week or this month, I might feel depressed. But the thing that I've learned from it is you're not going to always feel like that. Things are always changing. You know, sure, this month I feel terrible, but maybe next month will be different. Maybe tomorrow will be different. Things are ever changing. And I try to use this kind of blue sky analogy where Sure, there might be clouds now, but there is a blue sky underneath. I love that. Yeah. I hope someone who listens to this and is in a funk because of everything that's going on takes that with them. Yeah. So something very important I definitely took from that experience. And yeah, I'm very lucky. So it sounds like you sort of took a lesson from the experience for sure and made meaning of it. I'm curious, would you say there's something similar to, you know, that experience in in losing your dad, is there anything you see now, like as a result, looking back on it now, years later, obviously losing someone sucks, but has there been anything positive as a result of, I guess, life after grief? Yeah, I think 
one of my biggest takeaways is just I don't really sweat the little stuff anymore. And I never did, like, I won't say that suddenly after my dad died, I'm the most positive person in the world. Honestly, I was always very positive. I've always been a really positive person. So it didn't necessarily change me in that regard. But what it did change is, is it's like how we started this conversation talking about we have this baseline level of happiness where I can now appreciate now after going through the death of my dad, I appreciate so much that I am healthy and my family's healthy, I'm safe, and my family's safe. And that's the most important thing, just like your family being safe and healthy. And sure, maybe you had a bad day at work, or you know, you didn't get that sale you wanted, or your client canceled, or maybe you got fired, maybe something even worse. But like at the end of the day, like none of that stuff matters as long as like you're safe and healthy and so is your family. And as long as you have those basic needs covered of, I have a place to live, I have enough money to be able to, you know, get through, buy food. Uh, and like, we really are so, so lucky. And, you know, sometimes everyone goes through hardships. And, but like, you know, sometimes we do hear people really stressing about, oh, I got a bad grade on this test. And it's like, sure, it's, it's important to like care about that stuff. You don't want to not care. Uh, about anything but it's really important to keep that baseline level of positivity from knowing that your all your needs are you all your basic needs are met and honestly being positive and having that positivity has made me so much more successful and happy like you know when for example I was in sales and if you're in a good positive mindset you do so much better than if you're in a negative mindset. If you just got a sale and then you go into another sales call, it's more often than not, that's going to be a really good call. You're going to, you know, if you go into every sale, like you just got another, got a sale, you you probably get another sale. Like it's kind of like a snowball effect. But when you are in a bad mood, a bad mindset, you just got rejected over and over again, you probably are you know, reflecting that over the phone, projecting that over the phone. And that's probably not going to be a very good call. And I kind of use that for all of life. Like if I go into everything with a really positive mindset and the happier I am going into something, the more successful I'm usually going to be at it. Yeah. I, I think mindset's so important. And um, yeah, I feel like mindset's something that they should teach in school. I know that sounds absurd, but um, I feel like that's absolutely the truth. I mean, even I definitely, I don't have a good meditation practice by any means, but typically I try to spend a minute, a few minutes every day, just trying to prime my mindset to be in a state of positivity. And I guess also just like training my mind almost to just be in a, a positive state. Obviously some things are shitty and you're allowed to be in a shitty state and feel how you feel, but trying to just see the good in the good in the things. But yeah, and I know that's what we sort of were we're talking about at the beginning of the call as well. And all of this, I, I typically always come back to just like, if I have my basic needs covered, if I'm healthy, today's a good day. I'm blessed. And I really feel that. I don't remember who I was telling, but just like, even when I roll out of bed and put both my feet on the ground, a lot of times I just feel like, shit, I have two legs. I'm lucky. I'm blessed. Yep. Absolutely. (laughs) I want to talk a little bit about what you're working on now and your business you're a busy man, you have a full-time job, but you also have 
an incredible business in the night. So maybe you can just tell people a little bit about both, I guess, what you do professionally. I don't even know if professionally, uh, what do you do like nine to five? And then we could dive into the really exciting stuff. I guess what happens after five o'clock. Yeah, for sure. So I've been working in tech pretty much since I graduated college and uh, working at a ton of different startups, which have been really cool. Uh, Right now I'm working at a real estate tech company. I'm an account manager there and I really enjoy it. Uh, So I've been doing that for a few years. Um, But on the side, uh, have built this other business, which now is called Burwood Media, which is kind of a boring name, uh, but it kind of encapsulates all the different types of things we do under it, which I'll go into now. So essentially, I run DJ-based dance parties all over the world. Me and my best friend co-founded a business, and it all started, I guess, so me and my co-founder, his name's Alex, we met when we were two years old in England. He grew up with me. We both moved to Boston for college. We both moved to Brooklyn after college. And we always loved emo and pop punk music. And so when we were growing up in London, we'd always be going to shows and, you know, cool venues, seeing cool artists. And when we weren't going to shows, you know, we were in England. It was a good party scene there. Uh, We were going to the pubs. But, you know, we'd often pregame. And pregame, we would be blasting our favorite Uh, our favorite songs, you know, with our friends. I swear I had other friends with them, just Alex. Yeah, we create this kind of fun pregame of the music that we loved. And when we went to college, we had these parties in our dorm rooms where we just blast our favorite emo and pop punk music. And we pretty much mosh in the apartment and, uh, yeah, play beer pong, sing along. And then the same thing happened when we moved to Brooklyn. And so the parties, as you can imagine, started getting out of hand sometimes. And we want, we went across the street from Alex's apartment to this bar called Cameo, which had a basement and the basement could hold a hundred people. And we actually asked the bar, Hey, can we host like an emo themed party here? And if we invite our, enough of our friends, can we get free beer? That was honestly the motivation for us for starting this. We weren't trying to like start a business here. We just getting some free wanted beer. free alcohol. <laughs> like what else <laughs> do young 20-year-olds want? And so the bar thought we were weird, but said, okay, sure. Like not that many people come down to the basement of this bar anyway. Like, sure. So we created a Facebook group and it went viral. We basically just pinned it as like, this is a free emo party where we're just going to DJ everyone's favorite emo and pop punk hits. And get drunk and sing along. And it was the best night of our lives. It was packed. People couldn't get in. There was, you know, hundreds of people trying to get into this hundred person basement bar. And it was just me and Alex DJing our favorite songs. It was like you were at the best concert of your life. People were (laughs) moshing. um, People were screaming along with their favorite songs. The party went from midnight till 4am. It was crazy. You were in college at that point? No, this, this was after college. So this was Five years ago now, January 2015. How old were you? I was 24. Got it. You're the man. At that point, throwing this party. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm a 24-year-old. Life's good. I've had a couple years of professional experience, which I'm still doing. But yeah, it was, it was amazing. Best night of our lives. And the bar was like, whoa, like 
We did not expect this. We got all the free beer he wanted. And I think they even gave us a couple hundred bucks. How many people did you anticipate coming? I thought it was literally going to be like 20 people. Like our friends, you know, like 10, 20. And maybe we'd get like two free beers out of it and whatever, you know. But it was packed. And then so after this happened, we were like, whoa, like a couple hundred bucks. Like, that's awesome. And also, like, who cares about the money? Like, that was the best night ever. Like, wow. And so the bar asked us, yo, do you want to do this again? We have an upstairs that holds 250 people. And it's like more of a real venue than this random basement. And we were like, absolutely. And so we actually promoted this one. We're like, okay, let's actually go hard on this one. Because, like, you know, 250 people this holds. It was still a free event. We're not selling tickets for this. And uh, when it came around, there were must have been over a thousand people trying to get in <laughs> and still again a free event and it was even wilder than the last one crazy people were lined up around the block to get into this we didn't know we knew like none of these people we knew 20 of these people and then everyone else were random people that had heard about it and so it was crazy and we were on top of the world how do you market it or it was just like totally word of mouth basically we like created like, you know, a promo image. We created like a crappy like Photoshop. I don't even think we used Photoshop at that point because we didn't know how to use it. But, like <laughs> crappy artwork to like create the Facebook event with. And then we actually tried out some Facebook advertising, but we didn't know what we were doing. For, um, for, the, for that second event? For the second event. But honestly, mostly it was just viral word of mouth. Like people just shared it and were like, whoa, an email. Like no one was doing this at this time. Like sure, there were like, 90s parties and 80s night things like that but all of a sudden like emo like you can go to a hip-hop club you can go to a techno edm club but there wasn't like a ton of hey you go to this emo and just club and just listen to all your favorite email like that just didn't happen now there's tons and tons of dj based dance parties for all different kinds of genres and they're getting more ridiculous <laughs> the, the longer we go <laughs> But so it was like a novelty. What were you feeling? Like you're, you're in the venue, you peek your head outside and you see a line of a thousand people. What are you feeling? It was like, this is the best day of my life. Absolutely incredible. We felt validated because, you know, people make fun of you for liking emo and pop punk music. Yeah. <laughs> like here are all these thousands of other people who feel exactly the same way that we're you know, coming out of hiding basically. <laughs> and it was so cool. Everyone was just nostalgic but people still love this music. So you rock out the second event. What happens after? There was a bunch of local buzz around Brooklyn, especially Williamsburg, where we had the party. And Brooklyn Bowl reached out to us. It's a 800 capacity venue, a venue that we love and go to all the time. Tons of great bands play at. And they asked us, hey, can we host? We'd love to be the venue for your next party. And we're like, uh, yeah, okay. But we were a little intimidated because it's old 800 people and we were going to have to charge money for this one. So we charged five bucks and it sold out in like two days. The 800 tickets just gone. And everyone was just, couldn't believe it. Like this emo DJ, it was just me and my buddy getting drunk, jumping around on stage, playing our favorite songs. And people wanted to pay money to see that, you know? <laughs> Were you just asking Brooklyn Bowl for uh, for free beer at that point? No. I mean, we had some kind of really crappy deal. Um, <laughs> I don't remember the exact 
you know, it was like we'd get a percentage of the door or something, but it wasn't good. And then we actually, two booking agents got in touch with us and basically asked to be part of the team. They booked some of the biggest emo and pop punk bands that we listened to and that we love. And so even the fact they were reaching out to us was like, whoa, this is amazing. I can't believe I'm talking to these people who rep our favorite band. And they basically said, like, we want to work with you. We think this is going to be huge. And we can actually use our relationships, not just to get you better deals and in other venues, but also to get the bands that we represent, you know, to actually come out to your emo nights and like show up and be guest DJs and, you know, help sell tickets. And we're like, uh, yeah, like, we're, again, we're at this point, we're not trying to make money. We don't care about money or anything. We're just like, yeah, I want to party with all my favorite bands. <laughs> so at this point, we branded everything. We called the party Emo Night Brooklyn. And we start doing shows once every month in Brooklyn at Brooklyn Bowl. And the shows sell out every single time. We start bringing in the singers of some of our favorite bands ever to literally fly in, doing a, a surprise appearance, and then sometimes play acoustic or DJ their favorite songs. And it was amazing. Uh, we were on top of the world. And later that year, we got our first offer to do a show outside of New York. Couldn't have been a better place. Las Vegas reached out and was like, we want to have you fly out to Vegas. And there's a yellow card Newfound Glory party. And we want you guys to be the official after party. So is that cool? Can we pay you guys to do that? And we're like, what? <laughs> Absolutely. So we went out to vegas and like you know met yellow card newfound glory you know we had ryan key the singer of yellow card as our guest dj for the first time who now is essentially almost a business partner at this point like he does so many shows with us and he's a close friend and didn't you know any of those guys prior or no that was that was like your first time meeting them not at all i was just a fanboy you know like if I ran into any of them in a show, like you know, if I snuck backstage back when I was growing up, it would be like amazing, <laughs> you know? But no, I, I did not have any personal relationship with them before this whole thing started. And Vegas went really well. We started going back to Vegas every couple months and continuing to do the monthly Brooklyn shows. And then we started getting offers for cities in Florida, for California, for Detroit, for the Carolinas, Boston, and meanwhile, Alex and I still have our full-time job. So we are Monday through almost Friday, nine to five, you know, doing our normal jobs. And then we're flying somewhere together. We were doing every show together. Were you flying almost every weekend at this point? We were weekend warriors. It was like, boom, show, show, show. And eventually we got to the point where it's like, okay, why don't we split up? Because that way we can do two shows in one night. You know, it wasn't even like we wanted time off. Again, we are in our early 20s, and neither of us want to miss one of these parties. It's yeah. like, uh, I want to go to L.A. And, or, <laughs> you know, to San Diego and party with someone from my favorite band and, like, DJ this emo night. Like, of course, I want to do that. I want to DJ emo night for a con. So we started splitting up and doing the show solo. So we could now do double the number of shows. Were you thinking about it as a business yet or, or still just focused on just like having a great time, drinking beer and rocking your face off? So, yeah, I think like after the first year, I mean, the first year we had like 12 or something shows. So we made some money, but it wasn't like life change. It was like beer money, you know, 
it was a little extra change. I think the second year we did like 50 shows. So, you know, that's five X almost four X. So basically every weekend. Yeah. And, and at that point it's like, okay, you're starting to make more meaningful money. So we, we did start seeing it as a business around that, you know, everything we started creating real socials, you know, social handles. Uh, we started, you know, getting designers to help us with logos and artwork, you know, so, but we were still keeping it pretty lean at that point. You know, it was just like our booking agents, me and Alex, let me get some contacts to help. But I mean, fast forward five years. Now we do last year we did 200 shows. <laughs> oh my God. Just like, like bragging time. What can you say um, in terms of just like what you've done for anyone listening? What have you accomplished in the last five years? So now you do around 200 shows a year. Yeah. And this year was going to be around 300 before coronavirus hit. Like, I mean, in terms looking back on it, we've always had such a good mindset about it. Cause you know, when you're working with your best friend, it's awesome, but it's also tough because you've now changed your relationship with your best friend. You know, you're now business partners. Yeah. And so a lot of, sometimes your conversations, you kind of lose your friend's conversations and now it's just about business. So we've had to work on that a ton over the years of just like making sure our friendship was always top priority. And the nice thing we've always had the outlook of, look, even if this all ended tomorrow, like let's say no one wants to come to these parties anymore. The business is done. This I'll still have been the happiest person ever. The fact that we were able to do this and I'm totally cool. Just going back to me and Alex partying in our, you know, apartments again, <laughs> you yeah, know, like <laughs> the whole story is crazy. What would you say has been the craziest thing or one of the craziest things that have happened over the last five years? Oh man, there's been so many good memories. I think one of the game changer, I mean, one of the craziest things, like we got to go on tour with Newfound Glory. We got to go on tour with Bayside. Like we literally traveled around with them for 10 days in a row. Like that was were you, insane. Were you in there like uh, they had a bus? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> there were some, we were doing it on the weekends. So like we would fly out there, do a couple shows, go back to New York, fly out there, meet them again, some other city. So, but yeah, it was the best time of our lives. Like that, me thinking of me back when I was 15, knowing that I'd be doing this now, insane. And um, yeah, just being able to stand up on a stage in Las Vegas and saying, what's up, Vegas? <laughs> you know, that's... <laughs> yeah, that's, it's wild. It's a dream. So I'm sure some people are listening. So you obviously have a full-time job as well. And people might be asking like, well, why not do that full-time? I know you like what you do nine to five. I don't even, cause I'm sure, you know, your business isn't just like, Oh, I'm doing it on the weekends. You're, you're, you're a busy guy. So do you have plans to, or like a desire to like take the leap or you sort of like the way your life is balanced now? So, and I'm, I'm talking pre coronavirus here. Cause obviously things have changed a lot, but, but yeah, pre coronavirus, there were definitely discussions of, should we just work on this full time right now? Like, why are we wasting, you know, 40 hours a week at our, day jobs when you know we could be just doing this full time and i was less for it i think the things that i was thinking about are how much money would i be making if i was just doing human night brooklyn full time 
And number one, I would, so I would be losing out on my nine to five salary. And also like, that's a safety net, right? Like, yeah. you know, when you're building a business, a lot of entrepreneurs do have to just dive in 100% to their own business. And I think we were really lucky because our employers were flexible and they knew the situation and they were really supportive. So we were able to do both. And I think one of the things that made the decision for me of like, I don't need to go full-time for even I Brooklyn right now is I wasn't like overloaded. I didn't feel like I was overloaded with work. Like it's a lot of work, but I'm also very efficient. And if I had literally felt like my head is underwater, I'm literally just trying to hang on to be able to do both of these at once. Like that would be one thing. That's where I would be like, okay, I have to quit one thing to make this other thing amazing and dive in fully to even at Brooklyn. However, I didn't feel like that. I felt like I could mm. get both done and still have all the time in the world for all the other things I wanted to do. So that was big for me. It's like, why would I? Yeah. Just, you know, give up my safety net salary, you know, for this. If I can do both and I'm happy doing it. That was the biggest thing. Like I was happy doing both. I, I wasn't like unhappy that I couldn't just do one thing. Like I really enjoyed both. So that's what made me like really just want to keep both. But I always kept saying like, look, if we get to a point where either, you know, I am way overworked and I'm not happy anymore because I can't handle both these things, I just have to focus on my own business. That's one thing. Or if we get to a point where Emanite Brooklyn is making so much more money than my nine to five job is that like, dude, you're making 90% of your salary from Emanite Brooklyn and only 10% from your nine to five job where you're only, where you're working 40 hours to make that 10%. Like, yeah, logically that wouldn't make sense. I would be like, okay, like, you know, I want these 40 hours a week back so that I can make Emanite Brooklyn even bigger than it is. Yeah, that makes sense. And I think it's really practical. I feel I've been thinking a lot post-corona or during corona. I really don't want all my income to be tied into one income stream going forwards. Um, And that's something I'm trying to figure out now and wrestle with. I just think it's good to diversify, not have all your eggs in one basket. And on top of that, yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's smart the way you've done it and been able to obviously manage both. I just, I think that it's very practical, like the approach you took. And I think a lot of people probably are quick to jump. Like I just need to do this full time. Mm -hmm. And um, I feel like it probably also requires a great deal of discipline to be able to manage your time in, in, in both of those. Yeah. Tons of time management and just being really efficient and doing it well too. Like you can't just do it quickly and efficiently, but doing it well. And I'm a big believer in diversifying, uh, you know, whether you're investing, you want a diversified portfolio, but yeah, I've done the same thing with my jobs too. And thankfully right now it's paid off because of course, during coronavirus, all of our events are canceled. So thank God I have my nine to five job. And <laughs> even within our business, and you know, I mentioned at the beginning, our business is now called Burwood Media. We've diversified within Burwood Media. So now Emonite Brooklyn is actually just one of our parties that we run. But we've also created other parties now under this brand, Burwood Media. And by the way, Burwood Media, the name is because Alex and I grew up in Burwood Park in England. Shout out to oh, our that's awesome. you know, hometown. So that's why we named it Burwood Media. But yeah, we created, about a year ago, we created a disco-themed party that would play like your favorite 70s, 80s disco hits with a big influence on ABBA. 
We also now created a party, and by the way, the disco party is called Gimme Gimme Disco, where we you know, started in New York, and then same thing, as that got successful, spread it out to all of our other usual cities we do emo night Brooklyn for, and now we've created a modern boy band party for you know all the Joe Bros, Jonas Brothers, and um, One Direction, you know, focused on that music, and it's completely different audiences. You know, sometimes there's some overlap. We do a K-pop night now. We're even starting a John Mayer night, an indie night. So like, we've really started to diversify our own portfolio because who knows? Like, maybe people stop caring about emo and pop punk music as much, and but we've still got disco, or we've still got modern boy band, or we're still creating new parties to kind of diversify that in case you know some get more successful than others and so normally you rent out the bar or the space and then you throw the party there right actually no so we don't have to rent out the space in fact the venue will just offer us a deal they'll either venues will either say we will pay you a guaranteed amount no matter how many tickets you sell to do a show here because they know or they assume that we're going to bring at least x amount of people to make that money worthwhile like those people are going to come they're going to buy beer you know whatever so we either get those kind of guarantee deals or we get door deals you know where we get a percentage of the door and so we don't have to have a lot of the risk on us fortunately at this point it's the same thing with bands you know if, you know taylor swift isn't renting out um you know city field like city field pay pays her to you know perform there because they're going to make money or publicity from her coming there. Not to say that we're Taylor Swift at all. Yeah, yeah. Uh, for some reason, that was the first artist that came to my mind. <laughs> but, but yeah, so we got to the point. And again, our booking agents are great. Uh, so they you, deal with the booking mostly. Do you get hired by any like corporate uh, companies that want an epic party? We haven't really, I'm sad. We haven't really had any private events. Like I was expecting like, come on, weddings. I think the problem is like, you know, people's budgets or, you know, it's it's kind of a niche thing. Like, do you really want just emo pop punk music for your wedding where like your grandma's coming to? And, you know, we did, Alex and I have DJed a few cool events though. Like we've done a birthday, we, we did a 70 year old birthday party. We didn't <laughs> play emo music. We played like, we could DJ other types of music, but yeah, we've, we've done those uh, as well. So essentially, you, you guys are, to oversimplify your business, you guys are basically DJs. I would say now Alex and I are kind of promoters. We just like run a party company, basically. And Alex and I, a lot of the time, don't even DJ ourselves anymore. Like we'll, we now have friends where we can pay them and cover all their travel and expenses to go out and DJ the shows for us. Because now, obviously, having 300 shows, we can't do everyone ourselves. Makes complete sense. When, <laughs> yeah. at what point in all this did the free beer not become so attractive? Or <laughs> are you still like, I can't wait for the beer tonight? Honestly, I'm always thankful for free alcohol. But <laughs> yeah, obviously, I'm, you know, I'm about to turn 30 in a few days, which, uh, you know, again, is still young and all that stuff. But my body, I can feel, is definitely slowing down. So, you know, while I used to maybe imbibe a great deal at each one of these shows I DJed, I've, you know, started slowing down and getting a little more responsible as I've gotten older. And so, yeah, the alcohol part 
has become a little less important, I would say, but it's always appreciated. <laughs> yeah. I feel the pain. I feel like I'm putting myself in your shoes like year one and year two when you're just like, oh, obviously maybe year two, it's more of a business, but you're just like, wow, party almost every weekend and I'm traveling and I'm like, what's up Vegas? And I can only imagine the hangovers, the hangovers that uh, you may have experienced. Oh yeah. It's been pretty brutal. (laughs) So obviously you have an extremely unique life. You have a nine to five by day and then this crazy party company by night. So obviously we've been hit by Corona, but assuming things don't slow down too much heading into 2021 and things get back to some form of normalcy, what does 2021 look like for your company? Yeah. I mean, hopefully just getting back to normal, you know, right now the whole music industry, entertainment industry is completely on pause. A lot of industries are, um, but especially live events. And so we've gone from, you know, 300 events to now zero. So yeah. assuming everything goes really well, I see, I would hopefully see 2021 as just like rebuilding. And hopefully, look, I think especially our generation will hopefully be ready to go out uh, as soon as we're allowed to. Um, you know, maybe some of the older generations or some younger people as well will be still hesitant to go out, especially if you have, you know, immune issues or other you know underlying conditions things like that it's always of course really good to be careful but i think there are so many people that are just like i'm if they said i could go to an event tomorrow i would so i think it's getting back to the level that we kind of ended on as coronavirus hit like great every weekend we were having almost 10 events which is kind of <laughs> nuts that's nuts i'm curious if, if your dad were here what do you think he'd say about this business I'm glad you asked that because my dad was very traditional in the sense of like working really hard. And like, again, I work really hard, but I think his background, like I said, he was an amazing student, super smart, uh, went to Harvard, got his law degree, became a lawyer, practiced law for, you know, until the end of his life. And that was his trajectory. And I remember during uh, you know, I'd be in high school and I'd have an exam tomorrow. I just work very differently from my from how my dad did. I would be able to study over time versus having to cram the night before. Like, and I would, you know, I'd hear everything during class. I was a smart guy and I was really efficient in everything I did. So I would have a huge exam the next day and my dad would see me watching TV or on the computer, not studying. And he'd be like, Ethan, what are you doing? Like, you have this exam tomorrow you have to be studying. And I'm like, I already did. You know, I already studied like, you know, earlier. He's like, you studied for like 30 minutes. He's talking. I'm like, yeah, I know this stuff. It's all good. And it would make him crazy because I'd get an A on the exam. And this is, <laughs> this is honestly how my whole uh, high school was. You know, God bless my dad. Uh, because like, he almost never saw me doing work. And he was so confused, happy <laughs> that I was doing well. But like, it just made him crazy that like, I never seemed to be doing any work, but I, I would always do really well. And I got into a good college and in college, the same thing, like I would, you know, do my thing. And I had a part-time job on the side. I wasn't a ton focused on like studying all the time or working, but I did really well. And yeah, it made him crazy that like, I, how could you not be doing this? So I, I really 
would be interested in his thoughts about like this business because you know he's he's always he was always very supportive my mom by the way super super supportive but i think he'd be flabbergasted at like how did this work out where my son who loves to party and go out all the time and drink <laughs> suddenly like made a really successful business out of partying and drinking like how is this possible and, like you know <laughs> So yeah. I, I would love to hear his reaction. And I just like, I feel, yeah, sorry, Dad. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like a lot of people who are in college or post-college or even high school who may listen to this, they may be like, wow, what a lucky guy. He parties for a living uh, to some extent. So with that, what what would be your advice to someone who's just about to enter into the real world? And what would be your advice to them? And what would also be the advice that you feel they should ignore? Sure. My advice, I would say you have to work really hard. You know, some people do get lucky, but there's so much hard work involved. And so you can't discount that. Even though, yes, I essentially party for part of my living. I've also worked really hard. And I also work differently than most people. Some people do need to do those cramming sessions or work for 10 hours in a row and so you also just have to know yourself. Like you have to know how you work best and use that to your strengths. But I would say the characteristics that have helped me get where I am, number one, positivity, just, you know, being super positive, no matter what hits you, it's okay to be sad. It's okay to be down, lean into those times, but these two shall pass. Those things will pass. And go into everything with a positive mindset or as positive as you possibly can be. That's number one. Work really hard, but also like have fun doing it. Again, I think I was really influenced a lot by a Sean Aker talk about happiness. And it's, it talks a lot about, you know, a lot of people think that in order to be happy, you know, everyone wants to be happy. In order to be happy, I first need to be successful. Once I get that promotion, I'll be happy. Once I, get that job or once I land that gig, then I'll be happy. But that's not true because the goalposts will just move. Great. You got the job, you got the raise, but now there's something else that you want in order to be happy. Instead, you got to look at from the opposite end to be successful. You first need to be happy. So that is the most important thing. Just make sure that you are happy in a positive mindset and then you'll be able to, be successful. That would be my biggest advice. I love that. I'm right there with you. I feel like happiness is always the way. I always say lean into the happiness, the happiness equation. Like just lean into the things that make you happy and continue to do those things. And the things that don't stop, make change and continue to just do more things that make you happy. Yeah, exactly. The thing I would say ignore and again, I'm not gonna pretend to be an expert here. So you take this with a grain of salt, but, you know, sometimes I hear people say, you just got to like put in the top, like work insane hours, like, you know, it, spend your 20s just working your ass off and then you can, you know, be happy in your, this kind of honestly links to my advice because people say like, dude, work, you know, 80 <laughs> hours a week in order to like get where you want to be for when you're 40 and 50 and then you can be retired have a ton of money. Yeah. Just work your ass off. For me, like I never wanted to sacrifice. That's, that's advice I would ignore because personally, 
I wouldn't be happy if I was working 80, 100 hour weeks right now. Like, I don't care what 30 years from now looks like if I was able to somehow do that, but be miserable. Like, I'm going to be miserable now if I literally make myself work 80 hours a week. So I'm not going to do that. Like, the most important thing for me to be is happy, and then I'll be successful. So don't necessarily listen. It obviously depends on yourself and your, your working style and what you enjoy. But for yeah. me, I ignore that advice to like, dude, pull an all-nighter and work on this because I'm going to be miserable and I'm not going to be successful if I'm miserable. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think um, there's two things you said that are great. I think the goalpost is always moving. I think the idea of like getting there, it's a moving target. I like to say two things. You can always get there and then just you realize it's a moving target and then you're already like, well, when I get there now, when I get there now, then I'll be happy. Or you may have this idea of the thing you're chasing, but you may never actually get there. And if that's the thing you're chasing and that's what will ultimately make you so-called happy and you never get there, then you're putting a lot of weight on something that doesn't even really exist. So yeah, I love that. But I think it's a fine balance because you obviously work a lot, right? I think you found something that you really love to do. And like, I'm sure for, you know, your, your business, you're willing to put in the time, as you said, work really hard. I think you're, but there's obviously some, uh, you know, there's, there's some balance and all of that to make sure that the other areas of your life you are happy. And there's always time for, for a beer at the end of the day. 100%. And that's my favorite time of the day. <laughs> <laughs> I guess my last question, have you guys thought of doing a virtual event? Yes. Actually, I don't know when this episode is going to post, probably not in time for this one, but I know that tonight, at least we are doing our first live stream Emo Night Brooklyn, and uh, it's going to be at 8 p.m. tonight. I mean, again, I I don't think this episode is going to come out today, but we're going to start doing them weekly, probably on Fridays or Saturdays, so there'll be plenty of time to tune in. And we're going to be collecting donations and 100% of all donations are going to go to Music Cares Coronavirus Relief Fund, um, which gives money to people in the music industry that have been affected by coronavirus, loss of income. And, you know, we're, we'll, you know, we'll consider it's a very, very great cause and we're proud to support other people in our industry who, you know, really need this money to keep going. And so that's what we're currently raising money for. And uh, we're going to continue to raise money for, you know, good causes, especially for this really difficult time for these live streams. I love that. I, I read of some DJ who um has been going live every day on Facebook and Instagram since the virus hit. And I read something crazy that before the virus, like he had maybe a few hundred followers couldn't book any gigs. And since the virus, he has, he maybe has over a million followers now. Wow. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's wild. I, I need to find it and send it to you. Well, dude, thanks so much for the time. Where can people get a hold of you um, or follow, follow along your company? What are, what are the details? Yeah, absolutely. If you want to get a hold of me personally, my Instagram is E Maccabee. That's E M A C C O B Y. Emo Night Brooklyn, you can follow at Emo Night underscore BK. And uh, I won't give you all the other handles for all other parties right now. Feel free to reach out to me personally uh, if you want to find those. Um, But thank you so much, Danny, for this time. It's been a great conversation. I appreciate you having me on. 
Yeah, this was so much fun. We'll do it again. Thanks, brother. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode with Ethan. This was an incredible one. Love Ethan's story. Ethan and I have shared our story numerous times with one another, also with other people. And I'm just so proud of him to see what he's doing and how he's built this business that he loves over the last few years. It's it's really been an incredible journey to watch. If you like this episode, please, please, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts. It would mean the world. You can follow along, stay up to date with more podcasts coming out at bitsofgold.co and also on Instagram at bitsofgold underscore podcast. Thanks so much and more to come. I love your podcast. This is gold. This is where it's at. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.